Welcome to another podcast by Victoria Point Baptist Church. We are glad you have joined us today. If you would like to connect with us as we aim to introduce people to Jesus by connecting with our local community and beyond, you can find out more at vpbc.com.au. Thanks, guys. Uh, We continue on uh, with our theme for the year, the Discipleship Challenge. And uh, we've been looking at uh, the basis of our faith. So we're just going over old ground, but things are important for us to understand and believe in that are foundational to our faith. Because our response to God always has to be a response from the heart. Uh, we, we, can't, we can't manufacture it, we can't sort of just determine that we're going to be closer to God or whatever. There's a human barrier to us just putting effort in uh, to being close to God. It, it's a matter of the heart, and when our heart is open and soft, then we respond to what God's saying, and he draws us close, and, and we experience his presence. And, and that, that takes religious sort of thinking of man-made rules and traditions to a personal encounter with the living God. And, and we've been talking about how God loves us and how God has adopted us into his family. We've been talking about God's grace, that we don't earn his love. It's a gift of faith. And this morning we're going to be talking about how God constantly and continually forgives us and, and how we respond to that. So would you join with me as we pray? Father God, we do thank you. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you by grace and faith. We're adopted into your family. We're children of the King. And God, it's something that we couldn't earn. We didn't have to be good enough. It was an act of faith and humility, accepting your gift of grace. And God, this morning I pray that we'd understand the freedom and the victory that we have in having our sin forgiven. But also, God, how we might respond to you as a matter of the heart to this amazing gift of forgiveness. Lord, I pray by your spirit, you'd speak truth and hope and encouragement. I pray that we'd have victory over the evil one who tries to destroy us because we sin and that we'd experience the freedom of knowing that you have forgiven us. But God, there's more. What do we do with that forgiveness? Help us this morning, I pray to just have a wonderful balance of the greatness of your love, the depth of your forgiveness and how we respond back to you. And we pray that in your son's name. Amen. Uh, I had an Auntie Joyce. Uh, Auntie Joyce was my mum's identical twin. And uh, I used to spend some time there. I used to do a little bit of fishing with my uncle. And I like going to Auntie Joyce's place. She made a terrible cup of tea, but apart from that, uh, she would spoil me. She was gentle. She was caring. But there's something else that Auntie Joyce was. She was really clumsy. <laughs> it, it, just, it was just something, a part of a character that you got to appreciate and love. I remember that we were fishing once. I was only little, but we're in my uncle's boat, and the anchor wouldn't pull up. And so what he wanted Auntie Joyce to do was to nudge the boat up slowly to take the pressure off so he could pull the anchor rope up, you know. They have a controls on a boat where you just sort of press it forward slowly. And uh, Auntie Joyce couldn't quite manage that. (laughs) And she rammed down the accelerator and all I saw was Uncle Stan going flying over the front of the boat. And there was a 
couple of little words in there that I can't remeet, but it was to the point of, Joyce, the Queen Mary wouldn't be big enough for you, or something like that. It, it stuck in my mind. Arnie Joyce has given me some of her clumsiness. Uh, probably not to the same extent, it's weaned down a little, but um, look, I've played cricket for many years at, at, at reasonably sort of good levels, and I, I have taken many, many catches over those times, so it's not a coordination problem, but I would be the person who would trip over my cricket bag in the dressing room or something like that. I just have this clumsiness about me. So I'm aware that I'm a little clumsy. Uh, I know I have to be really careful and I try to avoid my clumsiness, but still clumsiness will have its day with me. And if you hang around long enough, you'll see me trip, kick, fall, break, do something that's of the clumsy nature. And that really is a wonderful picture to sin <laughs> or our awareness of it as Christians. Uh, we're aware of it. We try to be careful, we try to be disciplined, and we try to be focused, but inevitably, sin takes over us, and we fall short, and we mess up, and we make a mistake. And when John wrote these letters uh, in First and Second and Third John, what, what he wrote the letters for was that the people would understand that learning and living went together. So what you know in your head determines how you act. So if you take on knowledge, then that knowledge actually plays out on how we behave. And so that's why he wrote these letters. Earlier in this chapter, he said, God is light. There's no darkness in him, not one bit, not one speck. And if we have a relationship with God who is in the light, then that will reflect on how we live. And we will endeavor too to live in the light. So God is light, there's no darkness in him, we're a part of God's family, we're his children, so we look to live lives that are in the light, not in the darkness. But how does this play out in reality? Because you and I have that attitude towards where we don't want to sin, we know it's not God's character, we know it's not living in the light, and yet we do sin, and there's this tension and so today, John helps us to understand because he covers both aspects. There's this tension that you and I have as Christians wanting not to sin, but also he understands that we do sin. And so how do we reconcile that in our minds? Because the danger is that the defeat and the discouragement of Christian sinning is something that Satan just plays on and we can get to the point where we see ourselves as hopeless Christians. <laughs> well, in our own strength we are, but what I'm saying is we sort of give up. What's the point? I keep trying to do the right thing, like Paul said, but I keep doing the wrong thing. And, and so John takes on this aspect of how we deal with the discouragement and the disappointment. There is to be regret that is godly. When we do the wrong thing, we regret it. That's a godly thing. But we are not meant to be defeated by it where we lose our joy and our appreciation of God's grace because he has forgiven us. So the foundation that we start with this morning, and I hope this is an encouragement. I know you know it to be true, but I want to remind you, everyone struggles with sin. You are not the only one. Everyone here struggles with sin. And so the reality is, for the Christian, 
we will continue to sin. That's our reality. So we don't want to be defeated and destroyed by the evil one's taunts. Everyone struggles. We all struggle. If you look to your right and if you look to your left and if you look to the front and you look to the back, those people struggle with sin just like you do. So that's, that's where we start. Uh, back in the, the late 1800s, there's a guy called Charles Spurgeon. He's probably the most famous preacher, theologian of, of, of all time, but some of you may not have heard of him. And he was taking a service, and this gentleman came into the service and started sharing with Spurgeon that he was someone who never sinned. He had got to that point where he was holy. He had got to the point where he would never sin. And so Spurgeon was thought, mm, I need to chat with this guy. So I invited him home to lunch. He sat him down and he threw a glass of water in his face. <laughs> and this guy just erupted. Why did you do that? Why did you do that? And went on and Spurgeon said, see, that old evil nature was just asleep. <laughs> All I had to do was wake him up with a glass of water and he revealed himself. And so this is the tension we are saved, we are forgiven, we have received the Spirit of God, we are a new creature, a new creation. But our evil nature, our old nature still exists. One day uh, when Jesus returns and we spend it, we will be complete in our righteousness. But the struggle and the tension is that we are born again, but we, we still have to say no to our evil nature. Before we were a Christian, we could never do that. It used to rule us. We were a slave to our evil nature. But when we're born again, we now have the power to say no to our evil nature and yes to God. And so we all struggle with sin. That's our starting point. We don't want to forget that. Otherwise, we'll be defeated. We'll be discouraged. And the evil one will just have a field day with us. And although we'll still be a child of God, we won't live like it will carry a burden that is unnecessary. And John just clarifies that, verses 8 and verse 10. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our hearts. So we cannot deny our sinful nature and we cannot deny that at times that is expressed in our sinful actions. Now, John was writing to a group called the Gnostics. And what the Gnostics believed in was that our relationship with God was purely intellectual. In other words, what physically took place didn't matter. So because they were intellectually elite and they had this special knowledge, they actually never sinned because their body and their actions, their physical lives didn't matter. It didn't count. So they would see themselves as not being sinful because their mind was right. They didn't care about what their body did or their mouth did or their hands did. And so they do what we sometimes do. Yes, we are forgiven, but we just need to be aware of this. They do what we sometimes do. They give sin a different name. In other words, to overcome the discouragement and the defeat of failing, they change the rules. And we mightn't have a Gnostic's view, but we might erupt and go mad and yell at someone and scream in anger and say, well, that's just righteous anger. That's not sin. So we need to be careful that the discouragement that we receive and sometimes the defeat that we keep sinning doesn't motor us to shift the goalposts. Let's call sin what it is. It's a sin. We'll deal with that later on. But let's not just get into this game of saying, oh, that's not a sin or that's not a sin or that. And 
it's really possible for us as Christians to have that sort of attitude. We fail to understand that sin is sin. And we might hold up some things, stealing, murdering, and a whole lot of other terrible things as terrible sins, but the sins that we do, well, they don't count much. That's just righteous anger. So we do need to be called to account. Let's not redefine sin to start with. Yes, we're all sinners, and we shouldn't redefine it or try and change the rules so we look better. There's a better way. We don't have to be deceiving ourselves. There's a better way of dealing with it. And so... Yes, I sin, and yes, you sin. But thanks be to God that there's a way forward. There's a way to deal with it because God is fair and just. So John reminds us that God not only understands us, that we will fail, he's aware of it, he's not surprised, but he's also put in place a process. If anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence, Jesus Christ the righteous one. This is incredible. The grift of righteousness has been given to you. Yes, you are a child of God, and yes, you shouldn't sin, and I shouldn't sin, but we do. But you need to understand this. If you are in Christ, when God looks at you, he sees you as, he, as God's son. He sees you as if you were Christ. The righteousness of Jesus has been given to you. That's why we get excited about faith. That's why I'm a grace person. That's why I'm constantly and continually amazed how God loves me. When God looks at me, he sees his son. The righteousness of Jesus has been given to me. If you haven't had an encounter with Jesus yet, maybe you're a religious person or you think going to church is good, or it's the right thing to do, and yes, there's a God, you are missing out. <laughs> You are missing out big time because when we have an encounter with Jesus and we confess our sin and we put our faith in him, we receive the righteousness of Jesus, the righteousness of Christ. His perfect life is accredited to us. And so, of course, sin's not a problem for God once we're forgiven in Jesus. He doesn't even see it. He doesn't hold it against us. He is Abba Father. He doesn't look for opportunities to see us fail. He wants us to live out our life to full and to freedom and potential. He knew that we would sin. He put in a process to deal with it and he wants us to live in that freedom. So yes, we all struggle with sin, but we need to understand this. God understands. He's not surprised when you and I make mistakes. In fact, he factored it in. <laughs> He understands and he forgives. So that's our state. That's our state. So he wants us to live a holy life. Why? Because the holy life is the bestest life. In other words, obeying God and doing what he wants and living a life without sin is the best life that we can live. It's not second best. It's the best life. So God doesn't want us to sin because it's for our best and he also understands that there's an ongoing process. God hasn't finished with us yet. God will continue to be working with you all the time. That's what he wants to do. He's so patient and long-suffering. Why would we deny our sin? Why would we give sin a different name when God's given us this wonderful process to deal with it? Yes, I sin and we struggle with it, but God understands and he forgives and he understands it's a long process. Now, a little confession. 
I have a little problem that I have a tendency to work on my cars while I'm still in my good clothes. <laughs> and I'm trying to be better. But for, I can't figure it out, but either I'm too impatient and I just want to get in and get it done that I can't take five minutes to get changed, but my main problem is denial. I say to myself, I won't get dirty, I'll be really careful. <laughs> and so, as you know, with a little touch of Arnie Joyce, that never happens. And so I have this bottom drawer that is full of good, dirty clothes now that Kath calls my play clothes. <laughs> And there's not much in the good column, but there's a lot in the dirty column because I keep working in my good clothes. Now, I want to talk, and you'll tell her anyway, it takes about five minutes after the service, so that's okay, but Cass really good. She's really lovely uh, at all times, but in this case, because I think she's come to the point to realise who I am and how I am, and even though I'm trying to be much better, <laughs> I don't always get it right. And so she does get a certain look on her face sometimes, <laughs> but genuinely she understands and she forgives. She has this gracious attitude towards me. Why? Because I'm a work in process. In our first few years of married life, uh, I had no idea, but I soon learnt. <laughs> but I'm getting better because it's a process. I, I know you know this already, but there's something really important about confession and sin that you need to understand that I'll repeat. There's two key words here. One is justification and one is sanctification. Now, justified is that we're made right with God. The relationship is fine. The Greek of that verb makes it really clear that it is a one-only event. You are only ever made right with God once. And once you are made right with God, you are made right forever. It is a one-only event. It's in the aorist tense, but it has ongoing uh, consequences. So we are justified once and for all. If you've had an encounter with Jesus in faith, you are made right, you are a child of God, you have the righteousness of Jesus. When God looks at you, he sees his son. That's the reality. But sanctification is given in the present and continuous tense. And so it is normal and natural. And when the, the biblical writers use the Greek word and the, the tense of that verb means that it will be something where we are being made like Jesus until the day that we die. It's a process. And that helps me to understand sin and confession. Yes, I will sin, but I'll be not defeated and destroyed because I'm a child of God. But I have a responsibility to respond to God where I continue to work out and continue to be sanctified and continue to listen to his spirit and continue to confess so that I can become more and more like Jesus. John reminds us, but he says, Dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. So what we don't want to do is to abuse God's grace. We don't want to have an attitude, God's grace covered me, I'm forgiven, and then just live as we want. That would be throwing it back in God's face. And that's, that's not a good thing to do because it's not the best life. If you're not someone who's enjoying God's grace and understanding it fully, uh, then you're missing out. And you know, I'm often spoken to and people often challenge me and say, Paul, if you keep preaching that grace, people will abuse it. And yes, we will. Yes, we will. But when we understand God's grace and we fully understand it, it's impossible to abuse it. The only time we ever abuse God's grace, love and mercy is because we don't fully understand it.
And when it comes to sin and confession, we don't understand the measure of God's grace because we deny that we sin or we give sin a different name or we just don't see it as a big deal. But we're missing out. We're missing out. In this life, we will never overcome sin. But we have to understand we need to respond in a process of sanctification where we confess our sin and say, God, help me in this process of becoming more and more like you. I want you to use your imagination. How would my marriage be if I deliberately got into my best suit and went out and changed the oil of my car? And how would my marriage be if I did that deliberately and repeatedly and intentionally? Well, it wouldn't be good. I'd have to wear jumpers to cover the bruises. <laughs> but you see the difference. Yes, I make a mistake. I'm working on it. I have a wonderful wife who loves and forgives and understands. And she, but if I was to deliberately throw that back into her face and get into my suit and go and change the oil, then she'd have every right to be furious. And this is the balance. John says, I'm trying to explain this to you so that you will not sin. In other words, you wouldn't abuse God's grace. I don't want you to be defeated and destroyed because you sin, but I don't want you to keep on sinning because you can. Because my understanding is when we abuse God's grace, it's not a great life. We're trapped. We're slaves. We're not enjoying any freedom, any happiness, any peace. Why? Because we go through this process where our relationship with God is technical, it's black and white. What have I got to do to keep God happy? What have I got to do to keep God off my back? And all we're interested in is keeping the rules and the tradition and the legalism. And, and we're guilty then of throwing that back in God's face because we never understand it. The opposite's also true. I can do whatever I want. I'm forgiven. Doesn't matter. Either of these things remove the joy. And why is it so important that we don't abuse God's grace? Because it's God's grace that actually empowers us to live a holy life. It's understanding how much he loves us and what he does for us that motivates us to live a holy life. Not rules or tradition or fear, that won't work, but grace will. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Confession and dealing with sin is a matter of the heart. It's not a ritual or tradition. It's not a theory. It's not a formula. It's how I respond to a God who loved me so much that he gave his only son to die for me. That my sin would be taken care of. It wouldn't be held against me. I would be adopted into God's family as a child of God and I'll live with him forever. When my heart takes hold of that concept of how much God loves me, then my attitude to sin changes and my desire to confess changes and my desire to follow the process that God has given me becomes of first importance. It's a matter of the heart. If, if you're not connected to God, if you're not connected in your faith through your heart, it, it'll be such a burden to live the Christian life. I'd say it's impossible. If you're just doing this out of tradition or to keep the rules or to stop God stomping on you or doing something terrible, then this is, you're going to be sweating and slaving and there'll be no joy and no peace. But once we understand God's love and just how incredible and amazing it is, he's given me his spirit, but I still sin, but he understands and he forgives me and he gives me a way back. How good is that? 
And it's a matter of the heart that we read perhaps what is one of the key verses and probably one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. If we confess our sins, he is what? He's faithful and he's just and will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. How do we respond when we know we shouldn't sin but we do? This is how we respond. We willingly confess our sin in the freedom of God's eternal forgiveness. How good is that? Like that insurance ad, simples. <laughs> it really is simple. Yes, I'll make mistakes. Yes, God understands, but he's given me a process. If I just confess it to him, then I'm restored fully to the relationship and I'm enjoying all the benefits of eating at the king's table. So if we confess he's faithful and just, what does it mean by that? Well, first of all, sin cannot just be swept under the carpet. People sort of think, oh, well, why didn't God just, if, if, why didn't he just forget about our sin? He couldn't. He's a holy God. It had to be dealt with. But he was both the priest and the sacrifice. He gave his own son. But not only that, but he honours his promise. He honours his promise. If you have put your faith in Jesus, he has forgiven you once and for all. He understands that you will make mistakes. He understands that you're not perfect. He understands that it's a process. Our response is not to throw it in God's face or to abuse his grace or just do whatever we like or redefine sin or suggest that we don't sin. No, we call it for what it is. When we sin, we say, I made a mistake. God, I'm sorry but I thank you for your forgiveness and I thank you that I'm a part of your family forever and I want to set about to live a life that honours you. Help me not to sin in the future. It's a wonderful balance. It's a wonderful message. But you and I need to respond to it. Sometimes we respond and we're defeated because we fail and we think we're useless and hopeless and the evil one tells us, just give up, fake it, you'll never make it. <laughs> we all struggle with sin, every single one of us. You and I, we're no better or worse than anyone else. But this is the truth, God understands and he forgives. How good is that? But can I encourage you if you're abusing God's grace, in other words, you're just sinning because you know you can and you're forgiven. If you're abusing God's grace, you're missing out. You don't really understand it because if you understand God's grace, you'd never abuse it. <laughs> and the importance of God's grace is it's a matter of the heart. How you and I get about living a more holy life is understanding how much God loves us and we want to love him back. You'll never live a holy life because you're trying hard or you're keeping the rules or you're being stoic. That'll never do it. If you're tempted that, just come and see me. I'll get a glass of water. I'll throw it in your face. See how you go. But God's grace, see, this is why I'm a grace person. <laughs> It is the only thing that changes our heart that actually brings about a change of action, a change of lifestyle. I can hit you with rules and regulations and guilt and fear, but you won't be living a free life. You'll be living a burden life. The freedom comes of understanding how much God loves us, how good it is to be a child of God, and out of gratitude and thankfulness, we say, thank you, Jesus. And our only desire is to live a life that pleases him. Let's pray.
And Father God, we thank you for the wisdom that you gave John to write this letter. Setting it all out for us both sides, but giving us a clear path to how we have victory over sin. God, help us to have a measure of your grace this morning. You genuinely understand that we will keep on falling short. You understand we'll keep on sinning. You don't hold it against us. And God, the other half of the story is how we respond to that. We won't just do whatever we like. We won't sin as if it doesn't matter. We won't call sin a different name. We actually say, God, I've sinned, sinned against you. I'm sorry. And because I love you, because you love me so much, I just want to live a life that pleases you. I'm not sure which side of that balanced equation that you need to come from. Maybe you're overwhelmed by your sin, feel defeated. Well, you need to sort of rise up and say, thank you, Jesus, that I'm forgiven completely, continually. Or maybe sometimes we skip over the other side where we just sin and we don't really matter. We don't really care because, hey, it's covered. God understands. That's not really right either. Maybe you need to come up and understand how serious sin is. But we have a way forward. It's a good way forward. It's a freedom that we have that God will continually forgive us when we confess. Would you make your response? Do you thank you, God, for the forgiveness? And would you make a personal response? God, I love you so much. I just want to live a life that pleases you. Let's stand.